Hi everyone, my name is Callie. And I'm Grant. Welcome back to our podcast, Big World. Small Bites. Welcome back to another episode. Hey Callie, can I ask you a question? Okay. What's your carbon footprint? Who are you, BP? How'd you know our topic for today? I'm just that good. Today we're discussing the history of the carbon footprint, what it means, and if it's still worth considering. We hope you're hungry, because we're going to be breaking down this big world into some small bites. What size is your carbon footprint? Ah, the carbon footprint's there. That I don't know. Whatever it is, the whole population of the world make that a very, very big number. How much carbon I produce? Is that it? You mean the effect that my living has on the earth in terms of the products I consume? So to get things started, I want to talk a little bit about how the carbon footprint idea was started. Because I think... Most people who've taken an environmental science class have been forced to do a carbon footprint footprint calculator at some point. And it's really annoying. You have to fill in all this stuff. That makes it sound like it's like I'm annoyed by it. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, like you have to do so many things for it. Things that you don't know when you're in high school and you're like, I'm 15. I don't know what my household energy intake is. And it makes it feel like it's all your fault. And it's terrible. And because we do it in class, I think it seems like it's something that scientists made up. Yeah. But it was actually popularized by British Petroleum, a.k.a. BP, the oil company. Yeah. So they hired an ad agency. And it was their idea to create this ad where they talked to people on the street and asked them what their carbon footprint was. And it was the early 2000s that really that started to kick off yeah. that term. And in 2004, they um, they uploaded their own carbon footprint calculator so that you could go online and look at how your daily life, like, you know, going to work, buying food, you know, driving your car, big one, is the main problem for climate change. So they really were pushing the idea here that you are the problem. When they are a huge problem, I mean, like oil spill, you know, that rings a bell, yeah. like ducks EP, covered EP in oil. Really out here gaslighting everybody. Yeah, and they were 2000s. out here trying to make us think that they weren't contributing to the problem, which was a very successful ad campaign if you're an advertiser, um, but really not good for getting us out of the mindset that they're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. So Bill McKibben, the environmental author who you might know as the author of The End of Nature, um, who's a really prolific author, the leader of the Third Act movement, which is trying to get um, older folks involved in uh, climate action. He made the case against carbon footprint calculators in 2008, and he kind of was using this idea that individual action doesn't increase at a rate that's sufficient to affect change in a timely fashion. We don't have a lot of time to solve the climate crisis, and if we all did individual things, certainly it would add up not fast enough to stop climate change in its tracks before things get really bad. So instead, he's saying that we need to increase by, instead of addition, multiplication. So, you know, the impact will increase much faster if we can affect large-scale social systematic change. Um, And that's kind of evident if you think about the large-scale mindset change to be more sustainable. We see vegan options at places like Burger King. Um, We see more bike lanes. So individual choices add up, but they don't multiply. So um, 
there's more of a case there for maybe thinking about your carbon footprint, but then thinking about the carbon footprint of your country, of your government, um, and then using that to kind of spur an action and, and spur a way to create a conversation. And if we're thinking about who is to blame, so if we're not the only ones to blame, um, in terms of cars, transportation is 27% of carbon emissions. Um, but changing our habits could help, certainly, right? Driving less. Mm -hmm. But do we have the infrastructure to not drive your car? You know, do you have the ability to take a bus somewhere or take a train somewhere? Or do you live somewhere where you have to drive to get anywhere? So that's kind of just an example of personal choice there. Sure, transportation is a huge part of carbon emissions. Cars are a really big problem. You could buy an electric car. But if you don't have EV chargers in your area or you don't have a way to get around without a car, you're pretty much um, – oh, I, wait, I almost said a bad word. You're pretty much out of luck. Yeah, if you don't have a car, <laughs> you're pretty much out of luck. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of where we are. But, yeah. Grant, where do we go? Well, I think that's a good point. I don't think I've ever actually – I've never seen BP put out their own – carbon footprint yeah what's your carbon footprint yeah. ep or BP, even like bp oh my god like the ceo or anything like that i've never seen right. like company officials put out their carbon footprint which is very interesting they don't want you to know exactly they only gaslight you um but no I, I think you make a really a really good point when you look at the overall breakdown of emissions it can really seem like your own carbon footprint really doesn't mean that much so you mentioned that 27 percent of greenhouse gas emissions in the united states come from transportation. 25% uh, or around there comes from electric power. 24% comes from industry, 11% from agriculture. And so you can really think that, you know, if I change my diet, will it really impact that 11%? Or you look at the industry number, right? Almost a quarter of emissions come from industry and another quarter from transportation. I mean, yeah, part of that's your car, but then you think about planes and ships. Mm -hmm. It can really seem like, d does this even matter? Am I really just being gaslit? But, but I would like to make the case that a carbon footprint can be effective if it gets us to take action, mm. to work with others in our area especially. So to do that, I would like to point to a case study that involves birds. Birds. Yeah, birds. Birds are very important in this. So this is a case study from the, the National Audubon Society. Uh, it's published just last year in 2022. And it's on the website uh, Frontiers if anyone wants to check it out. But essentially, just to, just to make things sad to start, right, to continue what I said about overall countries and overall greenhouse gas sectors. The top emitters, a lot of us know this, but if you haven't heard it before, you have the United States, China, India, Russia, other oil-exported countries. And a lot of these countries have had really insufficient policies when it comes to reducing their emissions. Um, and then you look at just like a breakdown of the United States. So we don't have a whole lot of of policy necessarily addressing climate change. And then when it comes to the US population specifically, while 73% of us might think that global warming is happening and 60% may think that it's human caused, there is a little bit of a switch up between what people think regarding what scientists believe, is there a consensus and really should we do anything? So there's kind of this, this gap between people, between scientists and really between the government. So I know you're thinking, how does this relate to birds? What does this mean about a yeah. carbon footprint? Well, let's get into bird watches in the United States. So there's an estimated 47 million bird watchers, or birders as they go birders. by, within the U.S., at least in 2011, when the study was, was, first, was first taking place. 
and uh, that brings in a hundred and seven billion in birding industry output. It's a lot of money for right, birders. Right, right. Birders, birders are buying those expensive binoculars. Mm. But, but this is where it gets interesting. So, two thirds of North American birds are moderately or highly vulnerable to climate change if there is a three degree or less warming, especially more, but even three or, three or less degrees. And of these climate vulnerable species, 76% would have reduced vulnerability if warming were stabilized at 1.5. So if we tried to stay within that Paris Agreement time. Yeah, and we're already kind of getting closer to that 1.5. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so essentially you have a you have this problem, and then you have a company step in, and they, they pretty much argue, and they pretty much try to think of a way to use people's love for birding to address climate change. And so what they find, or what they put forward, is a bunch of different strategies, but one of them is a, a bird conservation strategy, and essentially they, they try to target birders in a specific area. So what they do is they put out this report, and this is the, the National Audubon Society. In 2019, they released a report called The Survival by Degrees, 389 Bird Species on the Brink. I know, quite, quite the title, <laughs> right? Um, but, but essentially, it assessed the vulnerability of 604 North American bird species that are under multiple global, global warming scenarios and the risk they're at in each scenario. And then... During this report, there was a specific section that targeted local community members, and it was called the communication, uh, the, the birds and climate visualizer is what it was called. And essentially, people could go to, go to their area, go to this site, they could enter in their area code, and it would show them specifically what birds that were endangered were specifically in their area. And then after it did this, it showed them a lot of different things, but one of it was what would happen at each degree of warming to those birds in their area. Mm. And then, this is where it got really interesting, it showed them current climate change policy legislation in their area or in their state. And what they found was, from October 2019, when this was initially launched, through 2021, this birds and climate visualizer was used by more than, more than 42,000 times. And of those who used it, the political ideology, I think this is important, was 54% progressive, 20% moderate, and 11% conservative. Now, what I think is really important about this, and you may still be thinking, what does this have to do with the carbon footprint? But essentially what this whole campaign was doing is it wanted to see if by targeting just the local community area, taking a community of birders in an area, right, for example, could they, by targeting the community, spread the word about an issue and spark climate action? And the answer was, was largely yes. In those areas, there, there was active action taking place, to least wow. to some extent. There was conversation around climate change. I mean, again, 42,000 times this, this website, this application, and this overall book that they sent out was looked at and used. And so what I think this really speaks to, and shout out the birders for jumping onto it. Woo, birders. Right? But it's if you use your carbon footprint to kind of spark action and really have a conversation with people around you, with your community members, you can spark some of that change that I think is really important. And you can stick it to the oil companies for gaslighting you. Exactly. And it's interesting if you think about like who birds and where. I was thinking I'm surprised the conservative number was less mm -hmm. just because I feel like um, people who – bird watch might been, tend to live in more rural areas yeah i think that has a lot of potential because yeah. it could be people who tend to be more conservative in those areas where you could just teach them again i think something we try to talk about a lot that 
um, that the climate crisis does hit home. And if yeah. it's like, well, you couldn't watch birds anymore. For somebody, that could make a really big difference to them that, in a way, no other argument has before. So um, it's a different... I think it's a more effective argument also than what's your carbon footprint and yeah. what's your impact. Because your impact matters. You should think about it. Yeah. But that's, guilt isn't usually a good way to spark action. No, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting looking at something like this because, again, like you mentioned, I think oil companies started this carbon footprint to kind of put you down to make it seem like your <laughs> fault. But if you take that carbon footprint or that idea that, you know, you can't really do anything or you know, you're to blame and, you know, we can't get collective action, you can use that as a spark to actually do something. Yeah. And, and those little actions when you talk to people and spread it can make a difference. You can actually make those even political changes, you know, getting EV chargers in your area, getting a bike lane in your area. Um, that can make a difference. So you can really stick it to the oil companies if you use your, your carbon footprint as that spark. Yeah, I think the thing is, too, that, you know, we could lessen our carbon footprint if we make these kinds of changes because all of a sudden your community could have a bus system mm -hmm. that runs really effectively and then you wouldn't have to drive as much. Or, you know, maybe some more walkable areas could be implemented, maybe more crosswalks or more sidewalks. So I think the changes that um, carbon footprints push us to make aren't always possible for the individual, Yeah, which I think is evident in the fact that they weren't really created to make you understand your impact. It was mm -hmm. completely to just make you think that fossil fuel companies are not the problem. Like it was just a very effective kind of like magician act where it's like, oh, look at this bunny so that you don't see this other thing that I'm actually doing. So it was a very effective magic trick to make you not realize what was actually going on, but that doesn't, that doesn't help no, you yeah. actually create change or, or understand your impact, I think. Um, you know, because to teach people that they need to change everything about what they're doing is fine and dandy, but if you don't tell them how they can change in a realistic way, it doesn't make sense. But yeah. things like this birder visualizer yeah, can I, help I, people see I, what I think is important. An, yeah, I think talking to people about what's important to them, whether it's birds or whether it's anything they care about and using this idea that you know, you yourself can't make change, but applying it to a community where you could make change mm -hmm. and kind of sticking it to the man, sticking it to the oil companies yeah. is really, or can be really impactful. But uh, on that note, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We're very happy to be back, and we hope you will join us next time as we keep on cooking. So stay tuned. We'll be serving up a new episode soon. Get ready for some more small bites of this big world.